What is it the Lord desires for you that you can walk as a victor in Christ? You know, that's an important question, and it's one we need to know the answer to if we're to move forward in our lives and in our calling with the Lord. The impact the Lord desires to make in and through each one of us is all a part of answering that question. We're going to begin, or you know, maybe I should say we're going to continue, a grand adventure with the Lord. On this episode, we jump back into the book of 2 Peter. And the adventure the Lord has for us is that of becoming a victor that we might finish well. And, you know, no matter what our age is, that should be our desire. We're going to begin this journey back through this impactful book. And we begin by looking at the very first desire of the Lord for us. Howdy, disciples, and welcome to the Creator's Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Matson, And you know, with this episode, this is going to be so good. Of course, it's God's Word. How could it not be good, right? Uh, you know, it's been a while. I can't believe it. It's been a while since we've been in the book of Second Peter. You know when that last study was? It was in September of 2021. Can you believe that? I know I can't. Now, if you have listened to all of the episodes or part of them... If you listen to the very first podcast that started this whole thing, I really laid out there what the Lord had put on my heart and what the podcast was going to be all about. And it's all about building up my brothers and sisters in Christ that are in the world of the arts. It's about emboldening them and as well as discipling all of those things are really what the Lord's put on my heart. That's what everything in this podcast is about. And you know, it's interesting because it continues to grow. It continues to change the Lord's. But this is the foundation right here. The Lord's just doing some wonderful things as we go through all this. The idea here is to let God speak to you and I through his word and through other disciples. That's so important. So we can see what he has done in their lives. It's so exciting to listen to what the Lord is doing in other artists' lives and careers. And you know what that does is it encourages us. God is working in real time right now in the moment in history that we live. And we all need to see that. And so often it's not something we would see uh, overtly, necessarily, in the circles we run in. So being able to hear from other artists, from other creative people, what the Lord is doing, ah, what an encouragement that is. It's been just fantastic. So th those, all of these components are a part of what the podcast is all about. And another component, perhaps, another part of discipleship is discernment. And you know, it's so easy to get off course. And we need discernment now more than ever in the world that we are living in. There is so much going on. And if you talk about just the deception, the world is pushing at us in so many fronts. But there's also deception in the world. And we need discernment. We need to know God's word. We need to be in touch with the Holy Spirit so that we can discern our times, discern the things that will drive us away from Christ. Now listen to what uh, the book of First Chronicles says. Now this is about the men of Issachar. And it says, of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Now, do you see the two things that the Lord says here? First of all, you have to have an understanding of the times. You've got to be able to look around and see what's going on all around us. 
We've got to be aware spiritually and in terms of just our, our uh, physical components as well. We've got to be aware of what's going on. And these men of Issachar, he says, first they had understanding so they could look at it and say, man, this doesn't look good. And of course, this understanding is all fueled by their knowledge of God's word. We can't have true understanding of anything without a true understanding of God's word. But then he writes to know what Israel ought to do. That's where you see the the confluence of the two things. You look at what's going on so that you know might what might you might ought to do, but it's all filtered through what God's word says. We need discernment more than ever as disciples of Christ and as creatives for his kingdom. You know, our world, you look around, and if we're not careful, we can just get really down because it's growing darker and darker every moment. You know, you guys have heard me say this because uh, I'm such a big fan of uh, Lord of the Rings, but Mordor is real and we're living in it. And we're watching the darkness from Mordor just spread more and more. And as it does, the boldness that we need for Christ needs to be intensified, needs to be strengthened, it needs to be reinforced, it needs to be encouraged. You see, we were, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Everything in that statement is about going out and coming against the gates of hell, not retreating. We need to be on the offensive, not on the defensive. And the world of the arts is a powerful way of being on the offensive. And we need to grasp that. We need to embrace it, disciples. It's so important. There's a reason why all the evil movements, when you look back, I don't care if you're looking at World War II and Hitler, or you go further and further and further back in history, uh, propaganda has always been put out. Evil has been uh, reinforced, and people have been taught it through using writing, performance, visual, all of those things of the arts. Because one thing that Satan knows, one thing that devious sinful man knows, is how impactful the arts are. And if you want to get your message across, get a real effective writer to write the propaganda. That's what happened all during World War I. There's a whole history there about what was really happening and then what people were told. This goes back over and over and over again, not only through our nation's history, but all the way through history. The arts is a way that can be spreading much good or it can be used for much evil. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, on notice it's the foundation, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest, for, notice the phrasing, the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Disciples, what's the foundation of what you're building in your life and in your career right now? Now, remember the context here. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. This is a society that is very much like our society today. There was all kinds of perversity in it. There was all kinds of greed. Lying was just normal. There were false gods everywhere. There were false teachings. Everything that we're having happen today was permeating that society. So the question for you and I, as disciples of Christ, remember, we're to be disciples. It's not being converts, not being followers, we're disciples. That's what Jesus called us to be. The question for you and I is, what are we building on? What are you building on? What are you building your life on? What are you building your career on? 
And you know, when Paul writes that First Corinthians three, he talks about the foundation. There's a definite article there that the is very important. The foundation of your life, the foundation of your career, the foundation of your relationships. What are the foundational things that you're building on? And then he gives us a list. And it's two sets of threes. And it's all very interesting. There's nothing, remember in Scripture, there isn't a single word in here that's not intentional. Now, he says, first, gold. Now, what is gold a type of? What does it represent all through Scripture? It represents royalty. It represents kingship. It represents superiority. Gold was of primary value. And you see, it's what we value most that will drive us. What do you value most right now in your life and in what you're building through your creative endeavors? What do you value most? And as you notice that, he goes secondly then to, a, to silver. Now, in the scriptures, silver represents, is a type of atonement. Go back Look at the things in the tabernacle that were made of silver. They speak of atonement. So whenever you see that, it's going to say something about atonement. Okay? It was also used, of course, for another thing, and this is obvious to us, and that is it speaks about decorations, beautifications, jewelry. So silver speaks about atonement, and it speaks about beautification. And then the third thing he writes about is precious stones. What a precious stone means. Why do, you, why do you write that? Well, there's a reason for it. It all comes, of course, out of the Old Testament. Precious stones represented being in the presence of God. Where does he get that from, you ask? Oh, I'm so glad you did. If you'll remember in the, the Garden of Eden, this is from, Ex uh, from pardon me, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, a diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Now, that is speaking, if you're familiar with, uh, Ex or with Ezekiel 28, there it's talking about Satan, and it talk, tells us some insights into the Garden of God, the Garden of Eden. And he tells us there that in the Garden of Eden, in fact, it says specifically Satan was adorned before he fell, of course. He was the anointed cherub. He was adorned with precious stones. The precious stones represent being in the presence of God. So all of these things, I want you to think about this, gold, royalty, kingship, superiority, what we value most, silver, atonement, beautification, precious stones, being in the presence of God. Who is that? Who does that remind you of? All of that is imagery that points to Jesus. These are the things that we build on. Paul is pointing us back to those things to be our driving purpose. And every one of them is speaks of Jesus. Now, the sad thing is, and we've all seen it. Maybe we've had that happen. I think we've all had that happen probably to some degree or another. So often we settle for wood, hay, and straw. What are you building on? You think about wood. Wood was what idols were made of. Now, again, we're looking at all of this through Old Testament eyes, first century church eyes. How would this have spoken? When Peter's writing this, how would this have spoken to them? When Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, how would this have spoken to them? Wood was what idols were made of. You know, all the pagans would carve little wooden idols. And the thing that's kind of funny is sometimes they'd overlay them with gold to make them, you know, seem like they were more valuable than they were. Oh, isn't that just the world? The world will just try to, to dress something up, make it seem like it's just so much more than what it is. 
and then it'll tell us, go pursue that. And it's all a lie. Remember this, disciples, when the world tells you these are the things that are important and they're trumpeting all of that out, nothing the world promises will be all it makes the claims to be. Nothing the world promises you will be all they claim it will be. That's so important. So you have wood. Yeah, it's a piece of wood that's kind of maybe dressed up with a little bit of gold. That's how they made idols. Worthless. Then he says hay. Now, that Hebrew, uh, Greek word, pardon me, that is translated hay here, it was a, a very poor building material. But this is what the reference is. The reference is to green grass or to pasture. It was animal feed. So you go from wood to green, you know, uh, pasture, green kind of hay. It was a very poor building material. And then what's notice what the third thing is? It's straw. Straw was almost useless for nothing. It was, you know, bedding. Now, here's what I want you to notice. As you look at wood, hay, and straw, what do you notice about every one of those things? Every one of those things is flammable. It burns up. And I want you to notice the order. Wood would burn up the slowest. The green hay would be second slowest. The straw would be immediate. If we're building on straw, anything we've done is going to go up like that. If we're building on green grass, it's hay, it's going to go a little slower, but it's still going to go up. If we're building on wood, it's going to be slowest, but it's still going to burn up. And of course, when we get further into Second Peter, we're going to talk about what's going to happen to this world. And how is it that this world gets taken care of in the day of judgment or before the new heavens and the new earth? Peter's going to tell us, and it's by fire. See, these building materials are all flammable. They're all volatile. And for you and I, and you'll notice with the gold, silver, precious stones, what is it heat does to those? It purifies them. Each one of those, in fact, like the precious stones, they're created in heat and pressure. What are you building on? Are you building on the things of Christ, the gold, the most important thing, the thing you value most, is it Jesus? Because of his atonement, he beautifies our lives. He adorns us with his righteousness, the precious stones. Those are the precious stones that we get in his presence. They represent us being right there. Remember, disciples, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're in God's presence all the time. It's a powerful picture here that we have. We've got to be strong in Jesus so we can proclaim him at any moment, and at every opportunity. Now, it's interesting. This is a little while ago. Uh, someone in the art world uh, made a very interesting statement. Now, they were talking specifically here about talking to, uh, you know, speaking about sales, relationships in the art world, that kind of thing. And what he said goes to any avenue of the arts. Now, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have the exact quote here. Uh, but this is what he said. He said, we ought not talk about politics or religion at the dinner table or with people in the art community unless you know them really well. And as he went on in his, his, this discussion, the whole point was, you might offend somebody, you might lose a sale, so don't do it. That was the whole, the whole uh, thrust of his comments. It's going to cost you in relationships. It's going to cost you in sales. Just be quiet. Now, I have a hard time with that. And far as my faith in Christ, I have a real hard time with that. Now, let me put my caveat in here because I don't want you to get the wrong impression. What I am not saying is that you just go around and beat everybody over the head with Jesus. And then, when they get offended... You just look at, look around and say, well, you know, that's just because I was proclaiming Christ. No, that's not how it works. You wait for the Lord to open the door. 
You see, here's the thing. The Lord's going to open doors in your life and in mine. And it's going to be at a show. It's going to be at a performance. It's going to be at some signing of a book. It's going to be somewhere public like that, as well as private. And you're going to see somebody who needs a touch from him. And maybe the Lord will tell you, go over and pray for them. Right in the middle of a a function. Maybe go over and pray for them. Maybe they need to hear something about salvation. They don't know the Lord. And they don't, is this all there is? Is this all there is in life? You need to speak Christ to them. Maybe there's somebody who's really sick. Maybe it's them. And they need a comforting word that the Lord's with them through this and that the Lord can heal as well. There's so many different scenarios. It could be there's somebody who's struggling financially. They don't know where to turn. But you do. And you can go over and minister to them. You see, here's the deal. Whenever I hear these types of comments, and it it drives me nuts sometimes because uh, we need to be bold about speaking Christ because, you know, nobody's going to go to hell over politics. But they will if they don't know Christ. And yeah, we need to stand politically in every way for Christ. Don't get me wrong. But ultimately... It's about speaking Jesus' truth and always being available for the Lord to use. You know, when I hear a quote like that, you won't hear these same people saying that about shamanism. In fact, you'll often see them, oh, this is just so interesting. Oh, my. And they'll be all over that. You won't hear them talking about that in terms of when somebody says, well, the universe is going to, and the new age type of thinking, no. They won't say that about that, but bring up Christ, whole different ballgame. So that should tell you something right there. You and I are here to influence the society, the people around us, through our lives, through what we create, and through our speech. Now, remember what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, circle that word anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. We're seeing that in the church right now. People, because there is no stance for scriptural truth and there is constant compromise, that saltiness is gone, and what are they doing? They're trampling the church underfoot. And worst, they're trampling Christ underfoot as well. There's no legitimacy for anything that speaks of Christ. Why? Because there's such constant compromise that we're, we've lost our saltiness, and we can't let that happen. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. Do you see what Jesus says there? Don't let your light be put under a basket hidden. What does a light do? He says, you put it on a stand. When he says put it on a stand, you're putting it out there for everybody to see. Nobody has a stand stuck in the closet someplace and says, well, I've got the light on. No, you put it on a stand. Everybody in the room benefits from that light. But it's out there. They see the source. That's who you are. You're the stand in that room, in that place. Remember, everywhere you go, you're the temple of God. You're taking holy ground. That's holy ground where you're standing. That's who you are. And that light should shine out from you. Then Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, when they see these correlations and they see how you're living, they're saying, wow, this Jesus thing, it's the real deal. And they are drawn and they want to glorify him. We can't lose our saltiness. We must let our light shine in every area. You bring the flavor of salt to whoever you come in contact with. You let your light shine into the dark place in that person's life. And all of this, now remember, these things all happen in the way the Holy Spirit directs and in a way that's unique 
to you. The way you will carry these things out could be way different than the way I do. Because the Lord's made you unique. You're very unique. You're very loved. Remember what the angel told Daniel? You were one loved by God. That's who you are. And he's going to work through you in the way that he made you. You follow his lead, and you're going to touch people that other people cannot touch for Christ. You see, that's the foundation. That's our focus, to be fulfilling what Jesus tells us. Matthew 5, 1 Corinthians 3, what Paul wrote there, all of this stuff. Boy, there's so much here. Well, that brings us all to studying through Second Peter. Now, you may ask, why Second Peter? Well, first of all, this is the book that the Lord laid on my heart to start taking us through. You know, scholar Matthew Harmon wrote this of Second Peter. He said, Second Peter is arguably the most neglected book in the New Testament, despite being written by one of the most important figures of the early church. Now you say, why is Second Peter neglected? Well, I can tell you why. Uh, there's some things in it that a lot of pe- pastors, they feel it's just a little too weird. And they don't want to tackle it. Specifically, chapter 3 is where they can really get off on that and really put the binders. Uh, Wendy and I have experienced that firsthand. Oh, we're going to teach through this book, and then we just skip the stuff that they do. They find a little too weird. And the crux of it is what much of the church is all about now is trying to make you feel good. Well, what we need is to know Jesus better. If we know Jesus better, we're going to be better as a result. We're going to be strengthened, built up, and encouraged. That's exactly what church is supposed to do. Ephesians 4.12 tells you that. It's to equip the saints. Now remember, saints in the Greek there, it should be translated, it's a better translation to say holy ones. That will take be more consistent, uh, especially in terms of going back into the Old Testament. When you go to church, you are to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Because, yeah, there's ministry within church walls. But you know where ministry happens, where people really, the rubber meets the road, is when you leave those walls. Disciples, you know, in the arts community, we have a massive mission field. And it's a place where we can take Christ. And the work of the ministry happens there. The work of the ministry that God has to reach out and take ground. Remember, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And that's because we're out there doing the work of the ministry. Church should equip you for that. And you need to be taught the full counsel of God. Too many churches are all about, you got to feel good, and they're afraid they're going to offend somebody. Well, Jesus told us, you know what, the gospel, you've talked about Jesus, there's going to be some offense. The main thing is that you and I are speaking the truth in love. So we're in Second Peter, and the insights that Peter gives us throughout the book are indispensable because what he's doing, what his concern, what his heart is, is that you Finish your race well. Now remember the context. Peter is knows he's going to die soon. He's going to tell us that in a few verses into the book. These are the final words of a man who finished well for Christ. And you know, when someone is looking at their last days, you may have had this experience, but one of the things that is really important to them is that they pass on, they impart the things that are really important in life, that are really important to them, the things that they've learned, so you don't make the same mistake. They want to pass it on to you, to somebody they love. It's exactly what Peter is doing here. He's telling everybody, remember, he's been in ministry a long time. He knows lots of people, and so he wants to show them. He wants to give them. He wants to equip them with things he knows will aid them in their walk with the Lord, and in being effective in the calling that they have, that they will finish well. And he's writing that to you and I right now.
for the same reason. The Holy Spirit knows what we need, and he sees to it that it gets put into God's Word so that we are built up, encouraged, and strengthened until the Lord comes and gets us. Second Peter are the last words of a victor. And I want you to remember something, disciples, really important, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord. It's important to realize that Peter started poorly. Matthew chapter 26, verse 35, Peter said to them, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the disciples said the same. Now remember, this is when uh, they're going to arrest Jesus. And here Peter is saying, oh, I'll stand. You go a little further on in the chapter and look at what happens. This is Matthew chapter 26, verses 73 through 75. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays them. So they, they, they know, one of these bystanders here knows that Peter is from Galilee and he's with Jesus. They know it was for certain. Then he began, speaking of Peter, to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter denied the Lord three times. And you know, of course, Jesus knew that. When we have come to places in our walk where we've just not walked well, Jesus knew that. But you know what? Peter gives us words here. This is how you're going to finish well. It doesn't matter if we began slow. If we're in a slow place right now, we can finish well. Second Timothy 4, 7, Paul writes to Timothy this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I want you to notice just how specifically Paul is writing here. He says, you know, this, this living for Christ is a fight. It's a good fight, but it's a fight. So we're going to have struggles. He then says, I finished the race. He followed Jesus. He looked to Christ constantly. That's what kept him moving forward and moving forward with Christ's joy in the midst of all kinds of challenges. Disciples, you're going to have challenges. If you're going to stand for Christ, you're going to have challenges in your life and in your career. But he says, I finished the race. He saw the finish line. He went through the tape. How? He kept the faith. He never denied Jesus. Disciples, that's exactly how we can do this. Paul wrote this to Timothy because the work that God had done in his life and the work that God had done in the world were all encapsulated in walking in victory. So he fought, he finished, and he kept. He fought, he finished. And he kept. Peter's going to give us things that will take us to this place as well, that we can finish our way strong. And the last words of a victor are what we're going to see. Now, in our first study, now this is way back, I believe it's episode 11, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't uh, listened to episode 11, please go back and do that. There's, a, there's so much information in there. It's so encouraging. There's so much in it. Now, Realizing that we covered one verse, we covered verse 1 in episode 11. But we're going to pick up right there. We're going to start with verse 2 here on this episode. Now remember, Peter has been countering false teaching within the church. And Peter, you know, he's being a good shepherd here. And the false teaching was running rampant. Now, Peter knew exactly what Paul wrote because, of course, he was there. Peter was there and all through all of this. Paul warned the elders at the Ephesian church in Ephesus about this very thing. And I want you to listen to what he writes. This is Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, be careful, oh, pardon me, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Notice the two things. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, now notice again, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish every one with tears. You see how grieved Paul? He looked ahead. He knew what was coming. But you'll notice what he tells these elders, pay a careful attention first to yourselves. How do you live? How's your teaching? Is it scriptural? Pay attention to yourselves that you could be the godly example. And then he says, pay attention to the flock. Watch what's going on. Because the Holy Spirit's given you overseers. And I want you to see something. This is just a little, a little side note here, but it's really important in terms of the deity of Christ. He says here, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Do you see what, what, what Paul writes there? God bought the church with his own blood. Hmm, who did that? Oh, that's right, it was Jesus. So he tells us here, pay attention to yourselves and watch what's going on in your flock. Why? Because fierce wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then he says, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. What's their goal? To draw others disciples, to draw disciples after them. Don't be a disciple of Christ. Be a disciple of me. And they're going to use twisted things to do it. Now, when we see that, pay attention to yourselves. Prosecco is the Greek word here, and it means to be in the state of alert. What you want to do here, the idea is that you are in constant vigilance over yourselves and over those in the church that you pastor. That's what he's telling them. This has never been more important for you and I. One of the things that I'm so careful of is I try to make sure that I will teach nothing. This is all part of a pastor's role. I'm going to teach nothing that is not dead on scripturally. It needs to be dead on right here in the Bible. I need to watch my life that I'm walking according to Jesus. Really important. He says here to, to be in this state of constant vigilance over all the flock. Now, maybe you're a dad. You've got your family. You've got your wife. You've got your family. Maybe you're a single mom. You've got your family. These are all, these are all your flock. And he tells them, he says, you be on constant vigilance. You'll be looking out. Why? Because fierce wolves are going to come in. He's going to, they're going to try to destroy your family. They're going to try and tear your flock apart. That's true pastoring church. That's true your family. It's also even true in that it, what Satan going to try to do with your career, with what you're doing for the Lord, he's going to try and tear it apart. But you'll notice what Paul writes there. He said, these people are going to come up amongst yourselves, and they're going to draw people after themselves and not Christ. So it's a personality cult. How many times do we see that? He says they're going to speak twisted things. Diastrepho is the Greek word here. And it means to twist or deform. But it carries also the meaning of to depart from an accepted standard or oral spiritual values to make crooked or to pervert. So they're going to take the standard, the, the orthodoxy that we know in Scripture... And they're going to pervert it, and they're going to twist it. And they're going to depart from the accepted, from the things we know. Every cult does this, and we see it in the church as well. Peter's going to equip us by the words of the Holy Spirit to have victory over these things. Now, Peter's dealing with false teachers. That's where all this comes together. He was dealing in false teachers in four different areas. First, there were the skeptics about predictive prophecy. This is interesting. See, these are the people that went around and said, well, you know, God said this was going to happen. Jesus said he was going to return, but oh, I don't know about that. And so they planted doubts. They were constantly ca uh, causing people to doubt 
what Jesus said and about future judgment that was coming. The second part of the false teaching was, oh, come on, the world can't be destroyed. You know, at that time, there was a whole philosophy, a whole a mindset, a whole bunch of people who bought into this, that the earth was eternal. And so, couldn't be destroyed. The third component, false teachers, the third group, I guess, of false teachers were those that would come along and promise some kind of freedom. Follow me and I will free you. Now, this was important because now remember, we're in Roman society here. And freedom was of the utmost importance. I mean, people just longed for it. Why? Because the vast majority of people in the Roman society and, of course, within the church were slaves. And so, boy, you came along and said, you know, if you follow me, I'm going to make you free. So any movement that wanted to gain some following within Roman culture would talk about freedom in some way or another. Now, here's what's interesting. For the Christian, freedom was becoming a bond slave to Christ. That was something that was mind-blowing in that culture. But as it's defined through Scripture... It's a whole different thing. So we have people who are promising some kind of freedom. And lastly, there were people who endorsed and encouraged sexual immorality and greed. Wow. Now, do you think that, does that sound familiar? This is what Peter is dealing with. You know, it's just what Solomon said. There's nothing new under the sun. See, these guys fed the flesh and its desires in the most debased ways. So Peter is writing all of this. And he's dealing with these false teachers. He's dealing with these things that he knows were going to come into the church. And he's dealing with the things that, by golly, we're going to face and where we need to focus. You see, the Holy Spirit wants you and I to be victorious in our loyalty to Christ and in the calling he has given us. So there's a little bit more background as we go into Second Peter. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to outline here the first 15 verses. We won't get anywhere near that, of course, going through, especially at this point in the podcast. But we're going to just sort of start off. But here's how you can outline that. Uh, verse 2 has a first desire of the Lord. Verses 3 and 4 has things that God has granted us. Verses 5 through 9 are spiritual vitamins and their effects. And what happens without them? Verses 10 and 11 are promises of faithfulness and growth. And verses 12 through 15 speak about the value of repetition. So with all of that, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2, listen to what Peter writes here. He says, May the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here is the desire that the Lord has for you and I. It's two parts. He says, first of all, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. The second part is, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You see, he's got one following the other. You won't increase in one without the other. When we talk about grace here, of course, it's charis in the Greek, and it means excessive favor. Now, if you were to use that term in a more of a secular sense, here's what, how it was used. It was used in judicial and settings where a judge would grant leniency according to social or economic status of the accused. So you're living in the Roman culture. And a judge, you're up before a judge, and your dad is a local famous politician. Well, the judge is going to look at you and say, well, yeah, you did X, Y, and Z, but you know, I'm going to slap you on the wrist. Why? Because of your social standing. So the more higher and powerful you were in society, the more leniency you were shown. That was the world's way. God's grace, his excessive favor, is never like that. You receive it freely, irrespective of what you have done in Christ. And it's offered to all. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, enemies of God now, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Arane is peace here in the Greek, and it means a state of well-being. So you've got this massive favor and then a state of well-being. See, Peter is telling us 
His desire, and the desire of the Lord, is that these two things would be multiplied to you. Plethano is the Greek word, and it means to grow or to increase. And the idea here is that the blessings from God will increase continually in your life. The blessings from God, the grace, this massive favor, that wasn't earned. His peace, a state of well-being. Don't we need favor and well-being no matter what we are facing? Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied, grow, increase. That is the desire of the Lord for you. How does it happen? He tells us in the second part of the verse. He says that if we're going to increase, we have to be in the knowledge of who our great God and Savior are. Now, when you see that Greek word there, in, it's a term of proximity. So it's talking about how near you are to somebody. Peter is telling you and I that we need to be near to, in close proximity to, where we can learn, where we can have knowledge of God the Father and Jesus. It's very interesting because, of course, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, but there's an inner desire where we want to draw closer to him. That's what Peter's talking about. Moses said something that should really come to mind when we think about this. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14 says, But the word is very near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. Listen to that, disciples, what Moses said. Here we have the Jewish people, Israel, standing on the brink of entering into the Promised Land. The Jordan River's in front of them. Moses is giving them their final uh, message. And, of course, they're going to cross without him. And he's emphasizing, I want you to notice, he emphasizes the nearness of God's word to them. The words he uses are very particular. They're words of intimacy. He says, first of all, notice it's in your mouth. And the idea here is that the word of God is something that you chew, you eat, you digest. Uh, Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Meditate there in the Hebrew carries the idea of instruction and teaching with praise and thanksgiving. So what you're doing is you're mulling or you're chewing, you're digesting what God's word is. And as you do, there's praise and thanksgiving for all he's revealing to you. Those two things go together. The psalmist, his eyes are fixed on God's words. And this is unmoving focus and unwavering attention. And then he says, Moses writes, it's in your heart. And this is where the meditation, now you've eaten it, you've chewed it. You've digested it. What happens? It becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of your very essence. Do you see the the imagery that Moses was giving here? It becomes the driver of all that you do. These are such powerful images. And then he says, it's by the knowledge. You'll notice what Peter writes here. In the knowledge. And it means to know something for somebody, pardon me, for who they are. For what they really are. Peter's telling us here that the more we know about the true character of Christ and of God the Father, then his excessive favor favor, and having a state of well-being in our relationship with him will grow exponentially. And you know, if you've got those two things, it affects everything else in your life. It affects how you see things. It affects how you respond to the things that happen. There's nothing more important than these things, Peter is telling us. This is the very first place, the very first thing we see about being able to live as a victor because fear is driven out. And it's knowing that no matter what the situation looks like around you, you know that the Lord is in control. You know who the Lord is. You know what he's about. That gives you complete rest. And man, do we ever need to know that. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty nine: Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is giving us a promise for every moment of our lives and our walk with him. We're to show to the world in the midst of great turmoil and chaos what true rest looks like. It's the victory that Christ gives, that we can live in victory, that these things are all 
in his control. And this is the basis for becoming a victor in Christ. And I want you to notice something, too. This is so important, disciples. Peter does not want you and I to be content with where we, what we already know, with where we are, but he wants us to move forward. And he says, there's a correlation there between the Father and Son, because Jesus reveals the Father to us. That's how we get to know them both. John chapter 14, verses 8 through 7 and verse 9 says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, I have been with, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip. You see the correlation? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Peter gives us in this second verse the desire he has for his readers. And more importantly, that desire is from the Holy Spirit. And it's for you and I right now. Imagine what influence this will have in the world of the arts and to those that you come in contact with. Imagine what the Lord will do. This is his desire for you. We get all that out of one verse in Second Peter. It's just amazing how much the Lord puts in his word. I can't wait to see what the next, the next study brings and see what the Lord has for us. Disciples, I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Now, don't forget to share, to give a review or a rating on your favorite platform. And you can keep in touch with me on Instagram or on Gab at the Creator's Calling. The music on the podcast is by Chris Matson Worship, and you can follow him on Instagram or on YouTube at Chris Matson Worship. And don't forget, disciples, to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And, you know, there's somebody out there who needs to hear from the Lord, who needs to hear from his word. Share the podcast with them because, you know, the Lord wants to minister to them. And his word, that's where it's at. Share the podcast with somebody that you know needs to hear from the Lord. And please, join me next time as together we follow Jesus and listen for the Creator's calling. Bye for now.